I want to talk to you this morning about living supernaturally. I mean, we're born naturally, but the reality is we are destined and designed to live supernaturally. And most of us here this morning have already experienced the supernatural. Uh, the salvation that we are enjoying this morning has happened as a result of a supernatural encounter with a supernatural God resulting in a supernatural rebirth and a supernatural impartation of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and verse 3, he says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asks. Surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows whenever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So to be part of God's family, to become a Christian, we have to be supernaturally born again. It's more than just putting your hand up in a service. It's more than responding to an altar call. It's more than being prayed for. There must be a supernatural transaction where our dead spirit comes alive to God and his Holy Spirit takes up residence within us and we become God conscious and God alive on the inside as well as the outside. Ephesians 5.8 says that we are supernaturally translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Uh, we were by nature, the Bible describes, the children of wrath, dominated by the powers and principalities of this life. Ephesians 2 verse 2 says that we have been supernaturally translated into the kingdom of light and we took upon ourselves a new boss, no longer under the rule of Satan, but now under the kingdom rule of Jesus Christ, who is now our Lord and master and friend. This is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. We have supernaturally bought, we've been supernaturally bought from death to life. So we have something within us this morning that we didn't have when we were first born on this earth. We have an eternal part inside us that has come alive to God and we have become part of God's supernatural family called the church. So when we look at the record of the early church as recorded in the book of Acts, we see in just about every chapter an account of God intervening supernaturally in the lives of ordinary men and ordinary women through, who have been supernaturally born again and supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
these were normal people with normal jobs. They worked as carpenters, as fishermen. They worked in the marketplace. Some worked for IRD. But they knew what it was in their ordinariness to have a supernatural interruption and empowerment in their lives. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us and we'll be God's witnesses. Witnesses that God is real, that Jesus Christ died for us, that God is supernatural, and he wants to express himself through us. In Acts chapter 2, it says that the power of the Holy Spirit came upon the believers as they gathered together to pray. It was like tongues of fire resting on their heads, and they began to supernaturally speak in other languages. And this so impacted the city of Jerusalem that in one day, 3,000 people were supernaturally born again and baptized and added to the church. In Acts chapter 3, you find Peter, who is a fisherman, going up to the temple. And he walks up to a crippled beggar and heals him by the power of Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, you see supernatural wisdom begins to flow from John and Peter when they are arrested and brought before the religious leaders. Uh, it says in Acts 4.13, this is the religious leaders, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And another 5,000 people get saved. In Acts 5, we see supernatural judgment against Ananias and Sapphira who tried to lie to the man of God and the Holy Spirit. That's pretty scary, isn't it? Uh, in Acts chapter 8, Philip, he hears supernaturally from an angel who tells him to leave the revival that he's in the middle of and go into the desert. He meets an Ethiopian government official who gets saved and baptized, and then Philip is supernaturally transported to another region to carry on the work, and so on and so on and so on. Read it for yourselves. Read through the book of Acts, and you'll just see that in every chapter, God is moving supernaturally through people just like you and I. We live in an environment where we get surprised by signs and wonders and miracles. And I think partly because we've forgotten what the Christian life and church is supposed to be about. We have no trouble believing that Jesus Christ died for our sins. We have no trouble believing that once we were bound for hell, but we have been supernaturally born again, and now are heading for eternity with Jesus. We believe and we trust God for that, but we forget that the very creator of the universe dwells within us, and we're a bit like the Galatian Christians who Paul said, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? 
after being born again supernaturally, many people just settle down to live a normal, natural life. How can that be? At creation, everything came from the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the one who hovered over the waters. The Holy Spirit of creation is the one that lives in you and I. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, when Dorcas was raised from the dead, when Jesus was raised from the dead, who gave them life? The Holy Spirit gave them life. Romans 8.11 And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. And John 7 verse 38 says, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So I think when I look at my life, it's more like a uh, trickle rather than a river of living water. Uh, But he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. So most of the time we live like the Galatians. We trust, we have faith in God for eternal life, but we don't exercise our faith in the littler things, the everyday things of life. And so you find this pattern being repeated time and time and time again in the Western church where there's very little demonstration of the power of God and miracles in the marketplace. Now, hopefully, hopefully there's character change in all of us because the Word of God supernaturally changes us as we soak in it and allow it to wash, wash in us. But when you have a look at Africa, Asia, the East, in those places, miracles abound because people actually believe that God wants to move through them and their resources are so limited. If God, if God doesn't come through, nothing's going to happen. When they get sick, if God doesn't come through, they're going to die. And so there's a real opportunity then to actually see God move. In New Zealand, we've only got about 9% Bible-believing Christians. When Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, he isn't just meaning Africa, Asia, and Europe. He's meaning our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhoods. And he actually says, these signs will follow those that believe. Signs? Following, believers, that's us. So we should have signs following us. And by the way, we're not supposed to follow signs. Signs are for the unbelievers. Don't rush here and there looking for signs. Signs are supposed to follow us. Signs are supposed to be part of our life. So every one of us, including myself, I believe, we need to grow in our experience and demonstration of the supernatural lifestyle. The question is, how? How do we, how do we grow in, in our experience of the supernatural? How is that going to part, come apart? How can we go from one step to another? Because it is a growth journey. It is a journey. You remember when you first got saved? The journey that you took to grow and mature in the things of God? Well, the same journey takes place into the supernatural. And <clears throat> the first thing is, 
You've got to believe that the supernatural lifestyle is the normal Christian life. That's the first thing. Because if you don't believe it, you won't try and walk in it. All through the Gospels, I want you, when you're reading your Bible, to look at it from a, just a slightly different way. All through the Gospels, we see Jesus training his disciples. Time and time again, he is trying to shift them from relying on the natural to learning to expect and walk in the supernatural. From changing water into wine, to feeding the thousands, to healing the blind and the sick and the lame, to walking on water, to getting money from a fish's mouth, to casting out demons, to raising the dead. It was just as much about training his disciples as it was about healing the individual. And Jesus did it well because as we've seen in the book of Acts, the disciples just went about doing what Jesus did and so should we. But it's a training journey that starts with faith. Last night I was listening to an old 80s video of John Wimber. Uh, John Wimber was a wonderful man of God who was used basically to restore <clears throat> to the body of Christ the truth of the priesthood of the believer. The fact that every one of us can be used of God uh, and see miracles in our lives. You don't have to be a paid clergy. You don't have to have a religious collar on for God to move in and through your life. So John was sharing how in the very early days of his ministry, when he was leading a church that he'd started, and John Wimber started the Vineyard Churches, he was taking a series through the book of Luke. And if you know the book of Luke, Dr. Luke, he centers on a lot of healings. So he gets through to about Luke chapter 4, and the Holy Spirit speaks to him because John was skipping out the verses that had to do with healing because that wasn't his experience. And so the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, I want you to preach about what should be and not just what your experience is. And so, convicted by the Holy Spirit, he began to preach in his church about healing. Everyone was getting excited. And after about four weeks, the elders came to him and said, look, we've had this preaching on healing. Isn't it time for us to start praying for people? And so, John was forced into holding altar calls after every service for healing for the sick. After three months, when nobody had got healed, half his church had left. Kept on praying. Kept on praying. Six months, nobody is healed. Nine months, nobody is healed. Coming up to the one-year anniversary of when he started praying for people in church. And early in the morning, 8 o'clock, he gets a phone call from a new family in church. And the husband says, oh, Pastor John, would you just come around? Uh, He said, I've just got a new job. And my wife is 
absolutely bedridden, sick. Um, and I need my wife to look after the kids because if she can't look after the kids, then I'll have to stay at home and I'll lose my new job. And John Wim was thinking, oh, no, I am in trouble now. So anyway, he, he goes around to this place and he's ushered straight into the bedroom. And uh, he, he said, this woman looked like death warmed up. No woman would like to see a visitor in that condition. <clears throat> so he starts to pray, and in his words he said, he prayed the most unbelieving, most ridiculous prayer he'd ever prayed. And he turns round to talk to the husband and try to explain to the husband why God doesn't always heal. And he could see the husband looking behind him. He turns around. The woman is out of bed in her um, day um, dressing gown and completely, completely, completely healed. He was absolutely blown away. He's driving away from this. He's driving down the highway. And as soon as he gets in the car, he goes, yes, yes, one at last, one at last. <clears throat> Keeps on driving and he sees a, a vision. First open-eye vision he'd actually ever seen. And he saw honeycomb over the horizon with all of these drops of honey coming down and just hitting people and just people getting blessed and refreshed. Some people uh, not liking it because of the stickiness of it, but just absolute amazing picture of what God was wanting to do. That was John Wimber's journey into healing. Thereafter, every week when he prayed for someone, they got healed. At least one person got healed every week in church thereafter. It took him 12 months. And I think, where are you and I on that journey of faith? Are we at day one? Or are we at day 365? It's a journey. And it starts with believing that God wants to move supernaturally in our lives. Secondly, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In, in John 20 verse 21, Jesus breathes on the disciples and they receive the Holy Spirit and are born again. Okay? Read it for yourselves. But then in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So being baptized with the Holy Spirit was a different encounter with the Holy Spirit than being born again. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. We need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, not only dwelling in us, changing us, but flowing through us, changing our world. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends 
of the earth. When I was praying before the service, I felt that I should just throw in at um, 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 7. So if you want to just flick those up, and I'll just read this, and it says this. Talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because sometimes we think that being baptized in the Holy Spirit just means you speak in tongues. No. Uh, speaking in tongues is probably the least gift in terms of ministry of the Holy Spirit out on the marketplace. But this is what it says. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. And that's a gift that uh, God endowed on me, especially in my marketplace, workplace ministry, Time and time and time again, God would give me a word of wisdom about a situation. He'd show me how to act. He would tell me what I needed to do in my job to have a breakthrough in a particular area. So I appeared infinitely smarter than I actually was. And then it goes on, it says, word of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. We often focus on gifts of healing as um, being one of the manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But that's just one. That's just one. To another, miraculous powers. And by the way, um, faith and miraculous powers often go together. It's a dual one. If you have faith, then you will see the miraculous happening. Uh, To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. So Penny, one of the gifts that Penny has is discerning of spirits. And she picks up, she'll go into a hotel room, and often she'll pick up, she'll pick up demonic spirits there. And she'll have to pray through uh, those places uh, until she gets a real, real peace. Um, she'll pick up demonic spirits on people and uh, just have that discernment. To another, speaking different kinds of tongues. To another, still, interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So God doesn't ask us to live a supernatural life without giving us supernatural power. Now, most people here have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Most people here are born again, they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but I dare say that you haven't taken the next step. You've started crawling in the things of God, but you haven't started walking in the things of the Spirit. And most often that happens because we haven't been nudged to it. How many parents like to encourage their kids? I mean, I sit and I watch Prue with, um, with her daughter and she's just... She's wanting to encourage this little baby just to, just to roll over, just to get, one, get on the all fours. She's just waiting for the time. Then that little baby starts to crawl along the floor. And then, well, when they start to walk, that's another thing. All the encouragement comes in. We need to move from sitting in our Christian life, being filled with the Spirit, to Crawling, taking little steps, to walking, to running. God isn't going to ask you to raise the dead as the first time that you're going to experience 
the supernatural in your life. He starts off small. I think with, with myself, and I've seen, I've seen lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of miracles. Just thinking about this, I think the first time that um, I actually saw God move through me was on an old call in Hamilton AOG, and I was one of the elders there, and uh, people came up for healing, and I put my hand on this guy's back and began to pray, and I didn't know what he, what he, um, what he had come up for, but I just prayed, Holy Spirit, just come upon him, just heal him, and just touch him. And then he started burst out crying. And I thought, oh no, what have I done? I've prayed the wrong prayer, or I've done something, and, and, and so I just leaned over to him, and I said, so, oh, what's happening? And he said, oh, he said, you wouldn't believe it. He said, but um, a number of years ago, I had surgery, and they uh, cut a nerve in my leg so that I have a numbness going down through to, um, to my knee, and God's just healed me. He's done a recreative miracle, and I've got feeling all the way in my leg where before I had numbness. And I thought, wow, God, you are so amazing. It had nothing to do with me. And that's the one thing you've probably got to remember. God asks us to pray. He doesn't ask us to heal. All he asks us to do is to pray and give him the opportunity to move in situations and circumstance. And as I said before, time and time again, working in the dairy company, I saw miracles happening uh, because God was moving. I had a secretary who, Leslie was her name. She came to me. Um, she was the secretary for the head of Scalarup, and then she came across um, to work for me. And in the couple of weeks between moving from Scalarup to New Zealand Dairy, she was out in the garden, and she got RSI on her, uh, in her hand. And so the very first week, I could see that there was something wrong, so I went up to Leslie and I, I said, you know, what's wrong? And she wasn't a Christian. And she said, oh, look, you know, I've got RSI in my, in my hand. And I said, well, can I pray for you? So that was a pretty bold thing. I mean, she couldn't say no. I was her boss. <laughs> so I went into the office. I prayed. I la- laid hands on her. And guess what happened? Nothing. <laughs> she didn't get healed. She didn't get healed. I left the dairy company about... Uh, a year or so later, uh, to become a minister. And I happened to bump into Leslie uh, at a social function. And uh, Leslie was reminiscing the times that we had together, and she said, you know, the most beautiful thing that ever happened to me was when, was in the first week <coughs> when you prayed for me for the healing of my, my hand. She said, uh, two weeks later, I gave my heart to the Lord. And my life has been completely changed. How's that? God knows. You just have to give him the opportunity. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. But just give him the opportunity. Give him the chance to do something. Uh, In Acts 2 verse 16. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they'll prophesy. And, you know, we are even closer to the last days than Peter was. So that if you are a people, you're a candidate for being filled with the Holy Spirit. Third thing, pray. 
that comes without. We have to. Often, we pr- when we pray, we enter the supernatural and things happen. When we don't pray, they don't happen. In James, it says that we don't have because we don't ask. Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. He said, pray, believe, believe for big things. But life is made up of the little things. And we need a supernatural expression in the little things if our faith is going to grow. The little things, the everyday things. Fourthly, and lastly, look for opportunities for the Holy Spirit to move supernaturally in your life. Remember, Jesus said these signs will follow those that believe. And the signs are primarily for the unbelieving world. They're supposed to be to point people to Jesus. Sometimes we need encouraging in our faith. And it's great when God comes through. But you know, even if God didn't answer any of my prayers from now to the day I die, I'd still believe in him. Because I've had so many encounters. I've, I know what it's like to have the Holy Spirit within me. No, the signs are not for my benefit. The signs are for those that don't know him, to point them to Jesus. The God of the universe just loves supernaturally breaking into our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. Our faith will grow as you read and study God's word. It will grow as your relationship with God grows and you learn to trust him. Your faith will grow as you spend time listening to God because when you hear him, your faith will grow. Your faith will grow as you exercise it and learn to expect God to move in the little things of <coughs> excuse me <coughs> when I'm driving down the street I still I still ask God for a parking place how many others have done that all you others all right all the ones who haven't it's like it's a bit like the story of the uh, of the lady who's driving to work and uh, she's been on a diet and she's coming up to her favourite, favourite bakery and she knows that there is going to be a wonderful cake in the front of that bakery and it's going to be covered in cream, etc. And and she says to God, God, if you want me to eat that cake, (laughs) please... Provide a parking place somewhere near the bakery. And as she gets to work, covered in cream, she's telling her workmates, and you know what happened? The fourth time round the block, there it was. <laughs> we need an increased awareness of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And that'll change our lives. And God says, he promises us, he says, he is able to do immeasurably the 
New International Version said, I think the Amplified says, far exceedingly, abundantly above all that you ask or even imagine. I've got a file in my iPhone, which is my Ephesians 3.20 file. And there's a bunch of stuff that I am praying for in regard to this church that I'm praying for on a regular basis. And it's my miracle file. And I'm asking and I'm believing and I'm expecting God to move. Let's have the musicians, please. I just want to finish off with this um, quote from Chris Voloton, uh, who is one of the great ministers in the Bethel movement. How many people here have heard Chris Voloton preach? He's um, preached a number of times in, um, at uh, Harborside Church and uh, at Bethel conferences. And he says this in his book about developing a supernatural lifestyle. He says this. He says, In the days of the prophet Elijah, there arose a company of men who were called the sons of the prophets. These men traveled throughout the world ravishing the powers of darkness and wrecking havoc on evil kingdoms. They had no tolerance for the destructive behavior of wicked kings, but rather turned many to righteousness. They raised the dead, healed the sick, parted rivers, destroyed false prophets, and saw revival spread out throughout their land. They were feared by many and respected by all. They walked in great purity, and God was their friend. Today, all around us, Wickedness continues to grow, taking root in the lives of those we love and eroding the very foundation of our country. Psychics laugh in the face of the church as they demonstrate the power of the dark side. Divorce is destroying our families, violence our children, cancer, AIDS and other diseases are taking the lives of so many. Yet the words of our Lord Jesus echo through the halls of history. These signs will follow those who believe and greater works than these will you do because I go to my Father. In Acts 3 verse 25, Peter says, It is you who are the sons of the prophets. It's time for the body of Christ to rise up and receive our inheritance. We must rid ourselves of complacency and restore the ancient boundaries of holiness and demonstrations of great power. We have been called to see the powers of darkness destroyed and our ruined cities restored. We are in the midst of the greatest revival in human history. Yet there remains a distance between what should be and what will be. That distance is you. What will you be? You are the bridge between history and his story. You are the sons of the prophets. The sick, the demonized, the poor, the blind, the lame, and the lost are all waiting to see what you have learned. Wow. And I just say amen to that. Why don't you stand with me this morning?